TLR. How y'all doing? That was weak. How y'all doing? That was better. Uh, I'm excited. It feels um, it feels really weird for me to be up here after the worship set. I like don't know what to do with my hands. Um, they got me in this Britney Spears mic, um, but we're gonna make it happen. Um, I uh, for those of you who don't know me, I guess I'll I'll introduce myself. Um, like Ben said, my name is Lauren Anderson. Um, I am obsessed with punctuality. I think I might be the only human being on the face of this planet who still uses a paper calendar. Do you guys even know what that is? A paper calendar? No, yeah. Paper calendars are a thing of the past, but I still use them. Um, I will definitely, like Will Smith, slap you if you argue with me that sweet pickles are better than dill pickles. It's like a thing I feel very passionately about. Um, we can talk about that after, after this. Um, I am a worship leader. I am a mom, I am a songwriter, I am a part of a band called North Point Worship, and uh, thank you, um, and I am most definitely not a speaker, so we will see how tonight goes. Um, when uh, I wanted to thank KP for uh, asking me to speak, um, and actually while I'm on that, I want to thank KP and Matt back there actually, and Caleb and Jared, and Samer for allowing me to um, be on the stage and lead and grow with y'all almost every single week here at TLR. Um, you know, we talk a lot about making this place a home away from home for the people who attend, but the truth is that TLR has become a home away from home for me. Um, I've gotten to worship through some of the hardest trials of my life and celebrate some of the greatest joys of my life up here on the stage alongside you. So thank you for becoming a home and a safe place for me. Um, when KP asked me to speak, um, I actually laughed and I told her I would be so nervous that I would rather just sing my entire talk. Um, so if it starts going poorly, I might do that. Um, and then she sent me an email uh, that had a bunch of questions to get the ball rolling, to get the wheels turning, you know. And the very first question was, where did you go to college? And I laughed again because I went to Dallas Baptist University in Dallas, Texas for one glorious semester. Um, I am a college dropout, baby. Um, yeah, uh, I, and I actually, I wear it as a badge of honor. I think it's a fun fact. Um, but yeah, I, I dropped out of college. Um, and uh, I think, you know, looking back, um, if you really put your mind to it, you can do a lot of good and a lot of bad in one semester if you really try. And um, unfortunately, I think I probably did more bad than good. Um, but that's okay. And uh, it's tempting when you're given a mic and you're asked to um, speak about advice that you would give your younger self um, or your college age self, even if you didn't complete college. Um, it's tempting to pick a topic that maybe you've already conquered, you know, like a sin pattern that you don't struggle with anymore um, or fears and doubts um, that you grew past. But I gotta be honest with you, when um, I was praying and asking God what he might want uh, me to share tonight, he brought up something that I struggled with very much then and quite frankly that I struggle with to this very day. And I hope that's encouraging um, to you that even if you have just begun your walk with Jesus or you've been walking with Jesus a long time, 
Our relationship with Jesus and our followership of him is truly a day-to-day, step-by-step journey. And sometimes it takes um, a while or longer than we would hope for truth to replace lies that we believe for a long time. So tonight, I would love to talk with you about trusting God with our story. So I grew up homeschooled, which I'm sure is a giant shock given how cool I am. Um, I lived in a tiny Midwest town where my grandfather was the pastor of our small, extremely conservative Southern Baptist church. Um, I was in that church every time the doors were open. That is not an exaggeration. Um, Actually, I think we have a picture of my very first time um, at church, if we wanna pull it. There I am, I'm right here. I am three days old. Um, so yeah, I was in church from the moment that I could be in church. Uh, look, we, they don't even have a building. They're still building and they're still in church. That's dedication. Dedicated saints right there. Um, so throughout my entire childhood, I heard over and over and over again about the character of God and about how my life, my story, fit in God's overarching plan. And while there was much to cherish about my sheltered, small-town childhood, I always dreamed of more. I felt a pull toward music, um, worship actually, and specifically at a very young age. And it wasn't really fame or, um, I don't know, dreams of being a rock star that had my head in the clouds. It was influence, this, this deep sense of purpose, a belief that I couldn't shake that I was meant for so much more than a tiny town in Wisconsin could contain. And I began to feel uh, pretty anxious about making that purpose come to fruition. And so as soon as I possibly could, I packed my bags and headed to Dallas Baptist University. And faster than I thought, I began to question if maybe, maybe I was capping my potential to be a world changer by staying at school for four years. So I dropped out, but my anxious striving didn't stop there. I left school and uh, very quickly got my first full-time church staff job at the age of 21 at a far bigger church than I was qualified to work for. Um, And when I got that job, I thought, oh, maybe, maybe this, maybe this is what will finally make me feel like my life matters. And maybe now I could finally begin to impact people the way I've always felt compelled to. But that nagging feeling just wouldn't quit. It was like no matter what job I had, what what things I achieved, what accolades were given to me, I always felt like I was waiting for my life to really begin. Or on my worst days, that I was behind schedule and I had an enormous amount of catching up to do. At the root of this gnawing feeling I couldn't escape was this. I felt responsible to write my own story. I felt like it was up to me to fulfill this destiny I felt called to and that my life wouldn't really begin or matter until I reached, um, well really until I reached this moving target that was my aspirations. And that was the most vicious part of my lack of trust. 
that no matter what I did or what I achieved, I never arrived. The truth is, I was getting it all wrong. I kept waiting and waiting for the next big thing to happen to really feel like I could start living my life, that I could start living out my story. I was constantly trying to make up for my past, rush through my present, and pray and hope that I would find purpose in my future. But maybe I didn't have to wait for my end goal, that dream job or that perfect relationship, or when I finally pulled myself enough together to pretend to be an adult, for my life to be impactful. Maybe I'd already been living out my story day to day, and I'd been missing out on the small things that really mattered because I was so focused on making this big impact and I neglected the steps that it took to get there. Maybe I could begin to let go and trust that God was a better storyteller than I. I found a verse that I'm gonna share with you in just a second earlier this year that I've really leaned into. Um, as I shared earlier, uh, this whole trusting God with my story thing is something that I still very much struggle with. And in complete transparency, it's kind of reared its ugly head um, back in my life as we prepare um, to release this North Point worship album. Um, you know, so much time and effort, prayer and tears and hopes and dreams went into this thing, you know. And if I'm not careful, I'll start to try to control outcomes, start to try to control the narrative, try to write my own story, and then become devastated if it doesn't work out the way that I hoped it would. I am, if I'm not careful, actively, um, you know, try to cling to this thing that is really not mine to write anyways. I'm actively fighting right now, today, to believe that God is writing a good story for me and for all of us. I'll share this verse with you. It's found in Psalm 37.3. It says, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell where you are and feed on his faithfulness. Now, I don't know if you've ever read a scripture uh, where you were like, uh, woof, God, you did not have to do that to me. Um, but I did that when reading this scripture. It literally like stabbed me in the heart and I was like, oh, I'm gonna have to really truly dissect what this means because trusting God with my story has been something I've struggled with my entire life. So let's go through this verse together. We start with trust, trust in the Lord. Now our modern English translation of trust means believe me, right? Like if I say I trust you, that means I believe what you say. Which is a great place to start because if we believe God is who he says he is, um, we're more likely to trust God with our story and with our future. But the Hebrew translation of trust um, is actually really cool. It's far more complex and it digs a little deeper. The Hebrew translation of trust means quite literally to lay fully extended on the ground. Now, when I first read that, I was like, what could this possibly mean? And then I started to think about dogs, um, which is very random, but bear with me. Um, you know like when a dog will uh, roll over, you know, and it'll lay on its back with its like belly fully exposed for you to like, you know, love on it and whatever. I don't know, I don't have a dog, but I, I know that dogs do that. Um, I think that's what it means. Meaning that when we trust, 
We are in the most vulnerable position, right? Open to hurt and disappointment. And yet, we make ourselves wholly and completely available because we trust that someone will take care of us. Sometimes we struggle to trust God with our past. Maybe we've done something or something's been done to us that makes us feel unusable. Sometimes we struggle to trust God with our present. Maybe things are taking too long um, and we start to get a little anxious. Sometimes we struggle to trust God with our future, that maybe he doesn't have something good for us waiting on the other side of our day today. But vulnerable, completely available trust is the kind of open-handedness that God is asking for when it comes to our story. The second thing this verse talks about says, do good. Now you all are in an incredible season of life where you're beginning to ask that age-old question, what do I do with my life, right? And you're asking it like for real. You're making decisions that will affect your future career as you pick um, college courses and degree paths. You're making connections now that will propel you into the life you may have always dreamed for yourself. And maybe the answer to your question about what to do with your life is far more simple than you think. Maybe the answer is do good. Be a good friend. Pursue integrity. Fight to be honest even if it costs you something. And God will take care of the rest. The third part of this verse says dwell where you are. Now dwell is just a fancy way of saying settling in. And this is the part that is so hard, so hard for me. Like I told you, I'm always dreaming about what's next. I feel like my heart is rarely planted in the present. And I especially felt that when I was your age. A lot of people in college can't wait for the season of life to be over so they can finally get on with real life. But maybe God is calling you to be firmly planted where you are. Of course, it's okay to dream and wonder what your future might hold, but there's no reason to wait to start really living your life. You have impact and purpose right where you are, in the family you're in, in the college you attend, in the friend group you have, in the internship you've taken. Dwell, settle in where you are. And finally, we reach feed on his faithfulness. This is good news. We don't have to be sustained by our next great accomplishment. Our lives don't have to be a chaotic race from one big thing to the next. We can trust, do good, and dwell because our hearts are fully fulfilled in simply knowing he's faithful. The fact that he's working for our good, even if we don't see it or feel it, can allow our souls to thrive even in the midst of pain and doubt and waiting. The story, our story, is up to him, and all we have to do is rest in his faithfulness. So what happens when we live with that kind of trust in God and his ability to write our story? I can only share um, what I experience when I choose to trust him. I'm not stressed because I believe he is fully in control. I'm not in some false competition with everyone else to get to where I need to be because I believe God has enough goodness to go around. I have hope because my future is secure in God's hands and I find joy in my present 
because I know each day is bringing me closer and closer to the future he's already set out for me. I have peace that even when things don't go the way I had wanted, that even when those days and those circumstances happen, they're a step in the journey that God has and that he's kind enough to walk beside me. We don't have to wait for college to be over, for getting our dream job, for meeting our perfect person, or having the best, most supportive friend group for us to start living out our story. It's already begun, and you can lean into trust as you navigate these next steps. We can trust God with our future, knowing his plan is for our good. We can trust God with our past, resting in his redemptive plan for all things. And we can trust God with our present, believing that today, even today, our stories are being written. And man, are they beautiful. Thank you all so much for letting me share with you. I love you so, so, so much. <laughs> And tonight, we're going to continue by hearing from the man, the myth, the legend, Matt Hayes himself. Give it up. I didn't know I was a myth. That's impressive. You're a mystery. Hey, and also, she didn't do this, but I'm going to absolutely shamelessly plug her. When's the album drop? April 8th. April 8th. April 8th. It's very soon. Uh, there's, There's more music happening tonight. Adeline saying the first song. She's got two new songs dropping this Friday. Woo! Guys, go get it. Um, well, anyways, I, um, I'm really excited to get to hang out with y'all because um, I'm going to get to do it every week. But here at the beginning of this, I'm excited to be able to join this note to self conversation idea because I realize that for many of you, we don't know each other. So I'd love to kind of start by talking a little bit about my story and then navigating into what I've learned and what I would look back at my college self and tell me because Sweet mercy, there's a lot I wish I knew. Um, For me, I grew up around this area. How many of you are from the Atlanta area? This is where you grew up. How many of you are from out of state? Like you grew up out, that's more than I thought. That's good, good job. So I grew up around here. Uh, I grew up over in Gwinnett County. I was born out of state, moved here when I was a kid. Um, And for me, very similar to Lauren, I grew up with church as a part of my life. Uh, I wasn't three days old. That's a little aggressive. Um, I see you're trying to get all the awards. Lauren, good job. Uh, but I definitely grew up in the church. Um, my dad was a, an elder. My mom sang in the trio. Oh, yeah, with her perm in the mid-'80s. Um, but that was my experience. Uh, I have an older sister. Um, my dad worked for what was Lifeway, what would become Lifeway Christian bookstores. Like, Jesus was this foundation of my life, and so being involved in church was something that I grew up with. Um, but then I got to middle school, and I wasn't involved in church at all um, because we went to a church where I was the only kid from my school, and like we would play them in football the night before and beat them, and then I'd be like, "No, I'm going to show up and get bullied." Like I don't want to go. I would fake sick to go to church all the time because I didn't have transit. I didn't have these great experiences like we do, and so that was my experience. I stopped really going. I stopped getting involved until my senior year in high school, and that's where the story for tonight kind of starts. My oldest friend in my life, his older brother, his name's Kevin, was our high school pastor. And I got to experience, the summer going into my senior year, this incredible ministry of hundreds of students coming together underneath this guy, Kevin, and his leadership. 
And I'd known Kevin since I was 10, so I came in new feeling like I'm already part of the, in the VIP, like I got the members-only jacket even though I'm brand new here. I had all this influence within the ministry, and I had no reason to have any of it, but I did. And so much of my experience was built on the, the reality that I knew this guy named Kevin and how great he was. Now for me, Kevin was like a hero. He was like a role model. And I'm saying that some pastor was like that for me, and it's funny now that I'm a pastor. You don't have to grow up in the church to have the exact same situation, the exact same understanding. There are people in life that you grow up with having as a part of your life. You're like, one day I'd love to be like them. It could be a parent, it could be a friend, a neighbor, someone in your school, someone a few years ahead of you. It could be a sibling, but for me it was Kevin. So then when I got the opportunity to figure out where I'm gonna go for college and what I'm gonna do, my mind legitimately went to the thought of, hmm, I wonder what Kevin did. And so Kevin went to Tocoa Falls College and then got kicked out his freshman year. <laughs> so didn't want to do that, but then he landed at Georgia. And him landing at Georgia was so consistent with so many other people that I knew. It's where my sister went, it's where my friends went, it's where my parents went. So I knew I'm going to go to Georgia. And I found myself very quickly feeling like I'm following in the footsteps of my role model. I'm following in the footsteps of my leader. I'm following the footsteps of someone that I want to be like. And so my freshman year, even before I went to Georgia, I chose to stay home, which was very strange. And I had some friends who were like, that was a mistake. But I chose to stay home so that I could work under Kevin in ministry. I just started to really idolize this guy because of how incredible he was, because he believed in me, because he valued me. And he's someone who was worthy of following. He's someone who was worthy of learning from. And so in my mind, this was a great thing. I'm going to learn under Kevin. I'm going to get to learn how to be like Kevin. And then when I go off to college, I'm going to get to do the things that Kevin did. And he really became this hero that I idolized. So then my senior year in college, how many seniors? Senior, like you're done in like three weeks? Right, there's very few of you here because you're already checked out. I get it. It's fine. Okay. My senior year in college, it's fall semester, and I don't know what I'm going to end up doing. Uh, I was an English education major when I went into it. Why? Because it's what my sister did. So I didn't know how to make a decision on my own. Okay? So I was an English education major, and then they messed up my transcripts the, the soft, my sophomore year. I had to do an online class in six weeks. I wrote 180 pages of work in six weeks, still recovering 18 years later, to try to get into this program because I got ahead when I was in high school. And so I'm like, all right, fine. I'll just go, and I'll get it done. I'll get ahead. And then I don't get into the program. And I fought it and I found out it's because they waived my application. Like you never even got to the thing. I'm like, well, can you fix it? And they were like, you probably would have been in with all the work you've done, but now we can't go back and change that. And I was like, okay, that, that's unfortunate. So changed to just English. Now I'm an English major, not gonna do education, but maybe I will. And so I got to the, my senior year legitimately wondering, what am I gonna do with my life? But the one consistent thing I knew was, but man, I could maybe do things like Kevin because he's this incredible example in front of me of someone who is doing things that I love and someone who loves me. I knew I had this call to ministry. I knew that I'd be doing that with some part of my life, but I didn't know how it would look. And so I had an opportunity to figure out, am I gonna continue to pursue education after this and I can teach and coach and I can do ministry through that? How many of you have ever had a coach? Show hands. Most of us. We all know and understand the influence a coach can have in our lives. And I watched my sister, who's not even a coach, like 
we found out that she needed glasses when she was a kid because she was playing softball and looked up and goes, huh? And it hit her in the face because she has that much athletic ability. If you're watching this, Rebecca, I love you. But anyways, that she had massive impact and influence on people in ministry for Jesus, even though she was never a coach, but just being in the school system through FCA. So I was like, maybe I'll teach and coach. But then fall semester, my senior year, Kevin showed up and he said, hey, I want to take you to lunch. I said, all right. And so we sit down at Panera over in Gwinnett County, Lawrenceville, Swanee. We're sitting, we're like, you know, Panera used to have like fireplaces. I don't know if, I remember exactly where I was. It was one of those moments. I'm sitting next to the fireplace. Kevin's across from me, says, hey, here's an opportunity that I've thought about for you. What do you think about next year being my intern? And I was like, let me pray about that. Yes. (laughs) I mean, it took no time at all because Kevin, my hero, is sitting there asking me, to join him, to follow him. Like, yeah, I'm in, let's go. And so I knew what I would do after I graduated. I would go and work under Kevin. I get to learn more under Kevin. And so I ended up getting hired full-time at that church after I graduated college. I was there for about eight years. It was the church I worked at before I even came to Woodstock City. And by the end of my time there, I started to realize there was something wrong within me. There was this disconnect of what I thought I needed to be doing and what I was doing. Because I wasn't even aware when I was in college of how much I was comparing myself to Kevin. But then when I was 27 years old, I remember standing in a parking lot looking at him with the realization to be able to tell him, Kevin, for the last nine years of my life, I've spent the last nine years of my life wishing I was like you. I've wondered when you got married and I've thought like, am I on track? And when you started having kids and am I on track and you got four kids, now I got five, I beat him. But like, I continued to wonder, where was Kevin in this season of life and am I doing the right thing? And so what started to happen at my workplace in my late 20s is that the people around me started to develop a view about me that I wasn't sure was completely true of me. Their view of me wasn't true of me. But what I realized is their view of me wasn't even the real me because I never showed them the real me. Why, Matt, didn't you show them the real you? Because I spent 10 years of my life trying to be like Kevin. And so if I could go back to my college self and save me all the counseling and save me all the journaling and all the tears and all the difficulty, if I could write a note to myself and be like, Matt, guess what? God's view of you is true of you. Not anyone else's view of you is true of you. God's view of you is true of you. And what I realized is that I didn't understand this statement. I didn't understand this phrase. I picked it up in my late 20s. I wish I had it in my earlier because not only was I trying to find my view of myself from who Kevin was, I was also trying to find the view of myself from what other people thought. I was. And this manifested in work, and there became a disconnect because I was frustrated that they weren't giving me opportunities that I thought maybe I deserved or maybe I would be good at doing, and I was being overlooked and undervalued, and their view of me wasn't true of me. But this played back into college and into high school and into middle school and really my entire life. This is the reason why my junior year I started dating a girl for the first time in a few years, and after a few months started to wonder, like, oh, could this be her, y'all, I, I was the worst. Like, I was so emotionally immature. Like, 
could this be her, like capital H-E-R? Like, I was a stage five clinger, okay? Let's just call it what it was. And after a few months, I'm wondering, like, oh, could this be the girl that I end up with? And so then when she breaks up with me and I become an embarrassment and I've literally apologized to friends about it, the reason why I was so undone is because my confidence of who I was was found in the reality of who this person viewed me to be. And if it wasn't in who Sherry Brooke viewed me to be, it was in who all my friends viewed me to be because I had someone who liked me. Y'all, I had friends come up to me after we broke up and they're like, you do realize that almost the only thing you ever said about her is how hot you thought she was? It's like, Ugh. So I was a stage five clinger and shallow. Great. Okay, glad I've grown up some. But that was my problem, is that I had no sense of confidence of understanding what God's view of me actually was. Because I was trying to find my confidence and my view of myself in everything else around me. I would look to Kevin constantly and think, where is he? I gotta get there. I would look at the people who could give me affirmation and I would think, if they believe in me, then I can believe in myself. And so if I could look back to myself in my early 20s and in my college years, I would take me by the face and I would shake me and I would say, listen to me right now. The only possible place you can ever find your confidence is in God. Because everything else can leave. Everything else can fade away. You can lose everything else, but you can't lose him. That girl that you found so much confidence in the fact that she liked you back, yeah, she left, and then what were you left with? Well, if all your confidence was found in her and then she left, exactly, you're undone. And see, when I look back at my life, it wasn't just when I was 21 that that happened. I saw that pattern repeat over and over and over and over again. The girl I dated in high school. The girl I dated in middle school. Yes, I dated someone in middle school. I told you I was a stage five clinger, okay? This pattern continued to repeat itself and it showed up not just when I was in college, it showed up when I was an adult. And it's shown up into my marriage. And it's shown up into my workplace. This showed up a year and a half ago when I was here in such a healthier place with so much more maturity and wisdom than I was in my early 20s. It still showed up, why? Because I have a tendency to look around me to find my confidence. And I have to continue to anchor myself to the truth that God's view of me is true of me. No one else's. And so maybe you're sitting here thinking, well, how can I know what God's view of me is? How do I even know that that's true? David tells us, and it is, it is this, it's these lyrics, it's this song, it's this declaration of understanding something about who God is and how much he actually loves you. So I wanna read you the first few verses of it. And I want to show you the last piece of it because it is so distinctly true about how much he views you and how you can find your confidence in him. Not in some girl, not in some hero, not in trying to be someone else that God never intended for you to be. And David actually talks about it. He writes this song in Psalm 139. He says, God, investigate my life. I want to stop right there and be like, no, I don't want to do that. There's so many times I'm terrified of what God may think. If he actually, if I allowed him in, if I gave him a peek into what I'm actually thinking, what I'm actually doing, I don't want to do that. But David's like, God, 
Here I am. Investigate my life. I want you to get all the facts firsthand. I'm an open book to you, even from a distance, because you know what I'm thinking. You're like, dang it. You know when I leave and when I get back. I'm never out of your sight. You know everything I'm going to say before I start the first sentence. I look behind me and you're there. And then up ahead, you're there too. Your reassuring presence coming and going. This is too much. It's too wonderful. I can't take it all in. Is there any place that I can go to avoid your spirit? To be out of your sight? If I climb all the way to the sky, God, you're there. If I go underground, God, you're there. If I flew on morning's wings to the far western horizon, you'd find me in a minute. You're already there waiting. And then I said to myself, oh, he even sees me in the dark. At night, I'm immersed in the light. It's a fact that darkness isn't dark to you. Night and day, darkness and light, they're all the same to you. And so David spends 12 bars sitting here talking about how incredible God is. And then he takes this reality of who God actually is and he applies it to himself with a truth that floored me when I started to understand what it really actually meant. Because in verse 13, we'll put it up here so you can read it as well. He says, oh yes, you shaped me first inside, then out. You formed me in my mother's womb. I thank you, high God, you're breathtaking. Body and soul, and here it is, I am marvelously made. There's so much intentionality that David is talking about here. About the reality that God has made me marvelously, uniquely, individually. He has given me certain strengths that are true to me that may not be true to anybody else. And he has me positioned in this place in my life for a reason and for a purpose. And if I had gotten this in my early 20s, it would have saved me so much heartache. But instead, I had to sit there in that parking lot, look across at Kevin and say, I've been comparing myself to you for the last nine years. And you know what I've realized? God didn't make me you. If God wanted me to be Kevin Queen, I'd be Kevin Queen. But God made me to be me. And you know what the best part about that interaction was? Is that as I sat there and I said these things that were so overwhelming to me, Kevin looked there at me and he said, I'm so glad you figured that out. Because I wouldn't want you to be me either. See, I had to understand it is God's view of me that is true of me because God is the one who has marvelously made me with certain strengths, with certain abilities, with certain talents. He's the one, even like Lauren said, that is writing my story and I don't have to, this is the freedom that comes when you understand that God's view of you is true of you. I don't have to manipulate my future. If I am just going to go into my life and I'm gonna choose to be a good steward of what God has given me, all I have to focus on is the output of that and I'll just let him take charge of all the outcome. And there is so much freedom in life that I would have figured out if I would have simply understood that one truth, that God's view of you is true of you. Not Kevin's, not that girl's, not that guy's, not that crowd, not those people, not those accolades, because all that can fade away. But God can't. 
He's a foundation. He's a rock who will never leave. And he made you marvelously. And so if someone would have asked me this type of question that I'm going to ask you, it may have made me think differently. If, someone, if I had sat in a room and someone asked this and then they gave me an expo marker like we gave y'all last week, and then I went home and I started to write out the truth of whatever this question is, it may have changed my life and I think it can for you as well. Whether it's something that Lauren said a few moments ago for you to understand the reality that you don't have to wait to start living your life. Bigger doesn't necessarily mean in the future it can be right now. Maybe you need to start writing your answers of whatever is resonating with you and you're like, I didn't get a Sharpie. I didn't get an Expo marker. Cool, we got more out there. I want you to be able to think through how you would answer this question. What does God say is uniquely true about you? What are your strengths? How has God wired you? Where has he positioned you and placed you? What is a part of your story that when you look back, you're gonna realize he was there all along? I told you that I didn't get in the English education program, so I became an English major. That was God. Because if I'd stayed in English education, instead of going to English, I'd only have one semester of a foreign language. And that would have been so great. It's part of the reason why I chose the major, okay? But instead, I had to switch to English, and now I had to have four semesters, and it was awful. But because of that, my last semester in college, I had one class left, and it was a Spanish class. And because I had that Spanish class to finish, I saw that there was a study abroad program in Costa Rica. I legitimately chose that program simply so that I could finish Spanish seven weeks earlier than if I stayed in Athens. I kid you not, I was that awful. And so I chose to go on this program. And for three months, I'm living in Costa Rica. And in the airport, on the way to Costa Rica, I met the girl that would become my wife. If I had chosen to do what I thought I was gonna do at the beginning and not seen God's hand in it, I could have missed what he was trying to give me the entire time. If I kept trying to manipulate my way into finding affirmation and confirmation from everything around me and everyone around me and tried to do other people's stories and not my own, I would have missed everything of my future. See, God is uniquely positioning you to be exactly where you are, for purpose and on purpose. And so what is it that God would say is uniquely true about you? And then the second thing to ponder And what if it's on purpose? What if it's not a mistake? What if God in his perfection didn't make you by accident? What if God has never made anyone and been like, she's too kind. She just is. She's too nice. People like her too much. We really messed that one up. We did. We just, we should have turned it back down a little. It's literally never happened because he's perfect. His character doesn't allow that. So when he looks at you, he looks at you uniquely. He looks at you individually. And he looks at you and says that you are marvelously made. So what is it that he would actually say is uniquely true about you? What if it's on purpose? I think that can change your life. So what I'd love to do is to pray for you. It's to pray over you on behalf of Lauren, our whole team, for this next season of where you're gonna go, that you'd be able to apply the wisdom that some of us old people have been able to figure out so that you don't have to navigate the difficulty that we did. So let me pray for you.
and then Ben's gonna come back out. Jesus, thank you. Thank you so much for wisdom. <laughs> thank you for lessons like this where someone can go first and mess up so that those coming behind can get it right. God, I pray that that's what would happen through the stories of these four people who have shared over the last two weeks. Father, I pray that this, this conversation would be one that changes the lives of these students. And Father, uniquely right now, I just ask in the name of Jesus, you would give them so much confidence to pursue you so that when they choose to do that, they would find how you view them. I pray they wouldn't look to anyone or anywhere else to understand who you have made them to be, God. I pray you would allow them to have it ring true in their life, that your view of them is what's true of them. May they cling to that. May they learn that. May they know that. May they explore that. And as they do that, Father, I pray that they would get fresh encounters with you like they've never had before. We're so grateful for this place and for what you're doing. And Jesus, thank you for loving us first. We love you right back. It's in your name we pray. Amen.